You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. And welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm chatting today, a general catch-up on what happened yesterday in Parliament and, and other things and what's generally going on in in the political space. I'm chatting with uh, Kieran Ryan. Kieran's a seasoned journalist who's investigated several, several matters. And we've chatted before, so if you missed any of those shows, also catch up on with the podcasts on our on our website. Good afternoon, Kieran. How are you doing? Hey, Rob. I'm doing fine. How are you? Oh, always good, always good, and always good to to chat with you over many important important issues. Sure, <laughs> what, oh, fantastic, Kieran. What what is your thoughts on on what happened in in Parliament yesterday with the voting on the let's call it the expropriation without compensation bill? You know, it, it reminds me of these, you know, these school the bullies that get pushed out into the ring, fight, 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 um, and then when it comes to the, you know, actually delivering the the punch, they fold. And, and I think this is what happened here yesterday. Is there's no heart in this because they've been told um, if this goes through, there will be mass disinvestment. It'll it'll pretty much collapse the economy. And it's not that this is an emotional decision that uh, companies will make. Everybody will have told them, listen, you cannot have expropriation because that opens the door to all sorts of things. Your, assur- your assurance is that this is just going to be, you know, a certain number of farms and so on. It's just not going to wash it because we know what governments do. They, they will test the very limits of the law that they've signed into being. And I think what, what happened was uh, they lost the heart for the fight, uh, you know, even – the ANC, I think you and I were, were talking in the last day or two about this, even the ANC seems to have you know, lost the heart for the fight. The EFF voted against it because it wasn't radical enough for them. So they're going to want to resuscitate this at some point in the future. Oh, absolutely. I do believe they will. And, you know, that that, that to me brings about, uh, I, I start questioning this, this whole process. If you, if you look at, and I mean, I'm just speculating wildly here, that if you look at, if you look at the whole political process and the political atmosphere right now, the ANC know they, they're on a, on a tender foot. They, there's a fear of, of dropping below 50%, which will be in the nationals, as, which will be a repeat of, of the local elections. And they need to, to get allies on, on their side. And the EFF is that obvious, obvious ally. Do you think that they are just kicking the can down the road here? And preparing for the 2024 elections, and this bill will this bill will resurface at at a, at a later stage. I, I think there will be an attempt to uh, resuscitate it at a later stage. Uh, I don't know that it will be successful at that point because, I mean, while this thing has been, it's already been kicked down the the can has been kicked down mm-hmm. the road a few times, as you mentioned there in the intro. I think what has happened is that the, the ANC has lost outright majority control. We saw this in the local government elections that had just happened. Now people say, well, you know, local government elections, it's midterm, it's a protest vote, you know, the, um, the voters will come back to the ANC in 2020, uh, 20, what is it, 23 and 24? 24, uh, 24. Uh, I don't know that that's the case. <laughs> I think this is, I think this is a structural uh, desertion of the ANC that has gone on here. Um, I was just looking at the the number of metros, the eight metros that you've got. In the, sorry, I, I'm coming back to your point, but I, I, I just mm. want to uh, make this other point. 
eight metros that you got in South Africa, only four of them are now run by the ANC, and they're not the most significant ones. Um, the, the only one being Durban, being a significant one. A significant one. So, um, and the other four run by the DA, which includes Johannesburg, it includes Twane, and it includes Cape Town. You know, and this is this is the economic heartthrob of the country, basically, that has now deserted the ANC. They've got a problem, and. Um, and that problem is making these these noises like uh, expropriation without compensation over the years. When they, they've been told by the ambassadors, I know this for a fact, and they've been told by the big investors in this country that you cannot have that. And, you know, we, we will be forced by our parent companies to leave if this thing comes into place because we just cannot have that uh, risk exposure. Not that this would happen in all cases, but in, in a great many cases, it, it, it has been a very real threat. And this has been clearly made to the government so they understand the dangers of going down this road. Yeah, indeed. So uh, I tend to agree with you there. It's, it's, so the first thought that did come to my mind was this is a strategic play for for the elections. But I didn't consider the, the economic uh, aspect, as, as you've just rightly pointed out. So this could be... Maybe maybe it's just a play, and the ANC, like you said, needed a fall guy, and that that fall guy would be would be the EFF. They can turn around to their voters and say, "We tried, we tried everything, and it's not our fault. It's 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 somebody else's fault," which is their their usual the usual approach to things. Yeah, yeah you, you mentioned something about the local local governance there, and it's it's very interesting. The the whole playing field has has turned on on its head now with coalition governments coming in and the major metros and the ANC lose, losing grip on, on a lot of these places. Are coalition governments the, the way forward? They are definitely the way forward. I mean, you see how many of the, the metros have been formed um, with the DA in charge where they've had to basically corral coalition partners to get them into that position. And I, I think we're not only going to see this happening in the metros, you're already seeing that in a lot of municipalities around the country. And I think you're going to start seeing that at the national level come the, the next election, 2024. The, the, this, this is a structural problem. You know, you cannot, the, the, the misgovernance that has gone on in South Africa in terms of the, what we hear about in the Zondo Commission, the ANC is getting hung with this. It is, it is now, it is being punished for this. They're, you might say, well, how on earth did they, despite this, this bad track record that they've got, how did they manage to hang on to uh, so many municipalities around the country? Well, um, the fact of the matter is, if you look at the eight metros that there are in the, in the, in the country, the biggest one would be Johannesburg. Okay, that's, that's gone to the DA. Chwane has gone to the DA as well. Cape Town, also the DA. But there's a survey that came out quite recently by Ratings Africa, and it shows the financial position of these different metros. In fact, the, the ANC-run metros are, are not the worst. Uh, funny enough, Twane uh, is is the worst. Uh, there's a reason for that, and I'll come to that in a minute. Uh, it's not entirely the DA's fault. But the, the point is that these, these metros are um, in, in a dire financial position. The, I went through and I had a look at the what are they spending on maintenance and repairs, in a lot of these these metros, zero zero percent of their budget is going on maintenance and repairs. And in the ones that are spending anything, 
uh, uh, Cape Town being an exception because that, that, that is very well run and it's very well run by the DA. It's kind of a showcase. You let us run the country, this is the kind of excellence that you can expect from us. But it, even in other places like Johannesburg, where they're spending roughly half what they should be spending on repairs and maintenance, because what these metros and municipalities are doing is they're cannibalizing the budgets to pay staff. So you've got this, this huge fattened staff complement that they cannot get rid of because it's just very difficult to get rid of people. So they, they're forced to find money from wherever they can to pay their, their massive staff bills. And so the roads are not getting repaired and the pipes are not getting repaired. That's that's what's happening here. Um, just to come back to this point about Swane, which is the worst, it's in the worst financial position of all the metros in the country. And uh, Randall Williams, who is the DA mayor, he, in a, in a uh, conference a few months ago, he was talking about this, and he says they're at 1.6 billion rand by government departments. So <laughs> what you have going on is, of course, you know, most of the, the headquarters of government departments are in Pretoria, uh, but a lot of them are not paying their rent, and they're not paying their lights. And he issued this order, he says, uh, you know, the, he gave this one example about the South African uh, National Defense Force, they, they owed, I forget how much it was, a huge amount, uh, well over 100 million on electricity. He says, go and turn off their lights. He says, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the bureaucrats came in, but it's the army, you know, we can't do that. He says, I don't care, go and switch it off. And, and they did. And suddenly money appeared within 24 hours and, and the lights went back on again. So yeah. They're having to treat the government departments the same way that they would these residents who, who are not paying their bills. And that's yeah. what's going on. That's crazy. That's crazy. So you're saying the money was there. They just didn't. They just felt like, oh, we don't have to pay this because we're the army. It's re- absolutely ridiculous. But yeah. it, it's common. It's absolutely everywhere. And it's. If, I think if the public had to find out about this, or the general public, the obvious response would be, why should I pay when, when government can't even pay their own bills? And wow, it is a, it is a dangerous, dangerous place to be, but really a, a, a reflection on, on the government that we, that we have today. So you kind of, you kind of wonder how, how the public still votes for, for, for these people. Is it, is it due to incredible social media marketing or is it through to, I don't know, influence that, that they create or stories that they create there? We got to, you got to look at the influence of big tech companies as well in, in manipulating voters' opinions or potential voters' opinions. And I know you've done some work in, in that field as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on big tech influence there? You know, it's something I started to pay attention to in a, in a very sort of, I don't know, casual way a few years ago. When I started to see a lot of divisiveness appearing and people forming very hardened views around subjects, um, you know, right wing, left wing. It doesn't matter what subject you take. There would be kind of two views and there wouldn't be much nuance. There wouldn't be much gray in the middle. Um, then the, you know, the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal came out, you know, involving the big tech companies and Facebook and, um, and how people were being surveyed and they, they were actually doing these massive social experiments to see how they could influence people's opinions. And it started to gel with me that this is precisely what is going on is that there is a shaping of, of viewpoints. There's a couple of books that I read as well. One is called Life After Google. 
by uh, George Gilder, and another one is called The Age of Surveillance Capital, uh, Capitalism by uh, Professor Zuboff. Now, they're both Americans, but they were quite fascinating. I, I didn't even realize at that time, you know, if you just look at life after Google, the whole premise there is like, you know, Google is one of the top three companies in the world in terms of science. Um, but you cycle forward 10 years uh, and you will find that it's probably drifted down. Something will have replaced it. And the same happens with, with all companies that, are, you know, sit on top of the pile for a while and, and then they disappear. But it became clear to me that what Google was doing is that in your, you, whenever you're making a search, you, you, 95% of all searches that happen in the world online are done with Google. They're keeping a, a record of that and they're building a profile of you as you're doing that. So I, I don't know if you've heard stories of, I've actually done this experiment with, uh, with my son where, you know, talking and, and the phone is kind of within listening distance and, um, you know, in my son's case, he was talking about having a baby. Well, the next thing is he's getting adverts on Facebook for a safety net for his swimming pool so that the baby doesn't, you know, fall into the pool. Um, and in another case, talking about um, dog food and, and then getting ads to dog food. And you're saying, well, there's something here, you know, because of all the products that there are in the world, there, there's, there's, there's some sinister side. To this whole tech revolution that is going on now. And the, the idea that these companies build up a profile of you, they know what your age is, they know your gender, they know probably if you identify as some other gender than male or female, they probably know what that is too. And um, in the, the age of surveillance capitalism, uh, Professor Zubov, she brings up this one story about um, a young lady who was pregnant but didn't know it, but her father knew before. And he said, well, how is that possible? Well, there's a, there's a certain uh, type of um, uh, product of shampoo, I think it was, that you buy that uh, you would only buy if, if you were pregnant. Don't ask me how the, the, the logic of this. But anyway, this was picked up by Facebook, which notified the father and started sending ads, you know, baby clothes ads. So the father, you know, phones at the door and said, I don't know why, but I mean, are you pregnant? She's like, you know, not as far as I know, but uh, she went and had the test and the next day she was. That's how crazy this stuff is. You know, is. They've got algorithms there which can actually predict and, and, uh, and inform your network. And I, I think there's something sinister in that. And if you've seen this play out in the political <laughs> sphere where people are very angry, they're very polarized, there's not a lot of rational discussion going on around certain certain things. Look, it's, it's not to say that, you know, you shouldn't be passionate about your your, your viewpoints, but um, there's there's a falsity, I think, about this alignment that I'm seeing in, in the political sphere here where people are taking very hard, uncompromising, no dialogue, no discussion viewpoints. Yeah. There's just loving insults at each other. I don't know what you think about this. Oh, I absolutely, absolutely agree with you. It's a very dangerous world we live in, live in nowadays. Well, the first thing I want to go do now is, is, is check my daughter's phone to see what ads she's getting. <laughs> <laughs> but, not really. She's, she's trustworthy. But, or so I'm led to believe. But you're right. You, you, the problem with, with social media is that you get shoved into a bubble and you, you aren't exposed to any contradicting views. You tend to, block people that, that 
don't agree with your point of view and you join you join a tribe of extremely narrow focused you know uh, of ideals that, that live within that space because you're on social media you project something that you aren't really in real life however it does definitely influence your your way of thinking and but sometimes i wish there was just a reset button because you know those al- those algorithms will serve serve you with with uh, content that you think or that they think is suitable to to you given on your associations and and so on and that that just compounds the problem because again you're not exposed to any diverging views it's extremely dangerous so push that reset button clear out all the history and then let's start again and it will be almost like opening up a new universe. Wow, this actually existed. These people are around here. I, I can see this. Yeah, oh, my word. And I think that's where we are at this late stage. The tech companies have been around for many, many years. And they're not really doing anything that any normal marketing company wouldn't do. You know, uh, client surveys or target market surveys and in-depth um, psychological manipulation of, of the of the target market. That's, that's essentially what they're doing. They're just doing it on a grand scale to the point where we don't know what they're doing and that it influences us as, as we go without us even knowing it. So yeah, there's, there's a huge discussion, which I think we should definitely continue. Um, and I hope the listeners will, will stay with us after that as well. And, so, and just, just on that point to, yeah. uh, to close off on that. I, I mean, I stopped using Chrome as a browser some time ago. Yeah. And um, I went to Brave. I started using the Brave browser because that does not have, um, first of all, it doesn't bombard you with ads and it doesn't track where you go. And they've also got a Brave search engine, which is in the beta testing phase. It's not quite as good as Google just yet, uh-huh. but um, it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be launched, I think, the full version early in the new year. And I think it's going to have some killer functionality I've just been doing a little bit of testing, you know, the search results that come out using the Brave search engine and, and Google. In, in some respects, Brave is better, and in, in some respects, Google is better. So it, it, they've got to do some refinements, I think, on the uh, on, on the Brave search engine. But it's coming, and I think there's going to be some real serious competition over the next, uh, well, I would say, year or two. Well, it's about time. It's about time. And uh, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break and then uh, join us after the break as we'll definitely discuss alternatives and how you can perhaps protect your, your identity. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. Indeed, democracy doesn't just happen. It requires a bit of hard work. But you also got to be careful of being influenced without even knowing it. We're chatting today with, with Kieran Ryan, who about the ins and outs of Parliament and now onto the big tech influence that they can have on your decision-making powers. So, Kieran, we were chatting there about um, measures that people can take with new browsers and um, that don't track you. I know there's a couple couple of others which are also in in the pipeline and, and alternative uh, alternative search engines. Um, do you know any about the what are the threats or the pros and the cons of moving away from 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 Google or the main big tech companies? Well, I, I mean, you're going to lose some functionality if you move away from from Google uh, from Chrome. I actually prefer the Brave browser. It's faster. 
Um, you, you know, it, you, I mean, you, Google is, is amazing. Let's be honest. I mean, it is fantastic technology that, you know, I, I have my own blog where all of my articles, I use it as a placeholder. And I, so I've got, you know, a few thousand articles there. And it's like a library for me. If, you know, if I need to search that, um, you know, I type in my blog name. If anybody wants to know, it's called writersroom.co.za. Please pay, pay me a visit. Um, <laughs> you can check out my articles there. Um, but you can type in writersroom.coza and then, uh, I'll remember a word. It was the person's name that I interviewed. And, and Google has a, an algorithm which is in, in a split second, you know, is, is going to give me the results that I'm looking for on my own blog. And think of it, you know, there's hundreds of millions of these websites all around the world where they're doing the same for. So it is absolutely astonishing. And I've, you know, spoken to my son who's a developer, you know, how do they achieve that? Well, it, it's done with, a lot of ingenuity and some very, very fancy programming. Brave is faster than that. And the reason it's faster than that, you don't realize until you go into Brave how many um, trackers these uh, or cookies that, that are installed on your browser. So, you know, you can sometimes Brave is blocking about 40 or 50 cookies and it just shows you this is how they know all about you. They know the websites that you visit. They know the products that you're interested in buying. Uh, everything. Um, you know, in a single website that you can have 40 or 50 different cookies that are tracking you is, is pretty frightening. Brave knocks that out. There are other, I'm, I'm not, not just making a, a punt for Brave. There, there are other ones. There's, there's Firefox. There's, um, uh, quite a few others. And there's quite a few other search engines as well. There's a Russian search engine called Yandex, which is quite good. Um, there's DuckDuckGo and, mm. and, and, and a few others. So I'm, but I'm trying the, the the Brave search engine now, and it seems to be working pretty good. But I do switch between that and Google. I just don't like the fact that my my data is being hoovered up at the rate at which it is, and they form this very intimate profile of me, um, which they used to then sell to uh, other people. Now this is a thing that George Gilder brings up in his book Life Life. Google says, oh, you actually own your own data. You know, this company, Google and Facebook and people like this are collecting this data for free and are selling that. And they have become the richest companies in the world. I don't know if you're aware, but the, the, the biggest company in the world at the moment is Apple. It's worth $2.7 trillion. It's unbelievable. Now, Apple is in a slightly different, it's a tech company, but it's in a, in a slightly different category and it's selling uh, technology products. But right behind is Microsoft, which is worth about $2.6 trillion. And behind that is Alphabet, which is the Google holding company, which is about, I think, $2.4, $2.5 trillion. These are unbelievable numbers. I did an exercise and I went and looked at this, um, the biggest countries in the world. The uh, China and, and the US, of course, are the biggest economies in the world. But if Apple were a country, it would be the seventh largest country in the world. Can you imagine that? Um, just after, I think, India and France. That, that's that's how big it, it has become. Um, and how has it done that? Well, it's by gathering up your data, not paying you a cent for it, and, um, and, and selling that to advertisers. So it's a market that is ripe for disruption. And there's this uh, a little bit of thing. I've been doing some research on a thing called Web3, which is the new internet which is decentralized and it's peer-to-peer. -peer. Um, it, it's basically Bitcoin. 
what what what, the, what mm. people are saying about Bitcoin that it's peer to peer and it's trustless. You don't have an intermediary in the middle who's censoring you or who's saying, "Oh, we'll post this or we don't post this." Yeah. I think people are are away from that, and people are smart enough to yes, there are offensive things and there are disgusting things on the internet, but um, do we really need tech companies and ISPs doing that job for us um, when technology is available that can do it for us at home? You can stop your children going to pornography sites, for example. Yes. Um, so, so we don't really need this. We're entering into a new era where, again, I think democracy is going to flourish. It's going to be pretty unbreakable in this Web3 environment because you're not asking anybody's permission to post an article or an opinion or whatever. Exactly. And I mean, that when, when Facebook and Twitter and, and, and the likes, all these social media tech giants, uh, started censoring people, they, they crossed the line from a, a chat platform or an online platform into a publisher status because now they're enforcing uh, censorship on whatever gets put out o- over their platforms. And I think that's, that was the wrong move to take with, without a doubt. You know, the because it's a slippery slope. Where where do you stop? Where do you stop? And eventually, it'll be totally uh, blocked off from certain people. Won't be allowed to say things. And we've seen that. The most obvious example is the banning of Trump on Twitter, which was absolutely ridiculous. I've really never experienced. I never thought I'd ever see that day. And I'm sure you know, Twitter's revenue and ad sales went went down. Trump was one of their. The, the main reasons a lot of people join Twitter was to see what, what was going on there. So you got to take the good with the bad always. And I think really we need, like you say, we need to move into that, back into that space where people are in charge of their own, uh, whatever comes, comes their own way. It's, it's, I think it's the same as when people are watching TV and, oh, that's such an offensive program. Well, you have the remote in your hand, change it. You have the power. You don't need to, complain to the big tech TV company and say, we don't want this program anymore. There's hundreds of other channels. Life is life is about choices, and we have that will to to make those choices. So I think it's an interesting time, a time ahead for for democracy, as you say. I, and, I think well, one, of the, one of the points I would just raise on that is, of course, these companies are based in the United States, and they are legislated in the United States. The, the law that you mentioned there where they are actually operating as as publishers, the law is called the Telecommunications Indecency Act, if I'm not mistaken. And there is a clause in there which gives them immunity for um, any financial claim that can be made against them for censorship. So straight away, the, the argument has been made that these are really like telecoms companies where you know, two people talking on the phone can say whatever they want. They can swear. They can do whatever. And that's a private conversation between two people. Um, but here you have these tech companies who are kind of sheltering under this, uh, this, this bizarre kind of immunity from any financial liability at all which allows them then to, to censor. So you have this bizarre thing where a sitting president Donald Trump in the United States is removed from Twitter for, um, I, I can't remember exactly what it was well, for, was it making fake claims or for inciting riots on the January 6th or whatever it was. Um, but it's gone beyond that to the point where very eminent scientists who are questioning COVID, um, who probably should be debated rather than censored, uh, are being deplatformed. 
people, I think one of them is Robert Malone, who is one of the inventors of the mRNA um, vaccine, yeah. has been deplatformed because he's in, in disagreement with the whole strategy. He's not anti-vax, but he's, he's in disagreement with the whole strategy. He's, he's anti-narrative, yeah. I think we... Just, let's take a quick break, and I'd, I'd really like to to finish off the show with with that that exact topic. We'll be, we'll be right back now. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson, because democracy doesn't just happen. And welcome back to one one point nine FM, and Kieran, what were we chatting about there? We were talking about the, the, the tech giants and the, the, the freedom from prosecution and freedom from any financial liability for deplatforming anybody, um, which they did to Donald Trump when he was a sitting president in the last weeks of his government, of his uh, presidency, but he was removed from Twitter, believe it or not. And, and it, it seems to have accelerated to the point where people who, uh, the, certainly the conservatives in the United States are complaining that they're being deplatformed at, uh, at a rate which is unprecedented. And this is something that I think as a journalist, you know, I've been in the business for a while. This is also, I would agree, it is pretty unprecedented, the rate of censorship that is going on. And even, even around COVID, there, there, there's quite sound, logical studies, well-reasoned scientific studies coming out, which are questioning the efficacy of, for example, vaccine mandates. Um, should you, should you force it? And quite apart from the, you know, the, the liberties that have been taken away, um, that, that, you know, do they work? Do they in fact make you healthier? And you, you mentioned this point, and I'm in total agreement with you earlier about this, this wonderful catch-all escape clause that's in the Constitution in the public interest. Well, what does that do? That reverts everything back. Every decision goes back to the, the bureaucrats in the government, the deep state, who uh, will survive this government into the next one and into the next one after that. But um, it allows people who are not elected uh, to make decisions which can have a profound effect on the country and a profound effect on the health of, of people. Uh, for example, vaccine mandates. You know, we, we can see where, where the world is going from this. And the reason I bring up, you know, America is the seat of a, a lot of this, this madness, the censorship madness that we're seeing at the moment. Um, and it's a law which is only applicable in the United States. It's not applicable in this country. Uh, yet that kind of censorship and that, that whole drift has been exported to the rest of the world. Uh, where people are being shouted down for having, you know, incorrect messaging and, you know, wrong ideas or offensive ideas, what people perceive as, as offensive. We're in extremely dangerous territory at the moment. That, that we are indeed. I mean, the, the mere fact that, as you mentioned, the government will act in the best interests of the public. But how can it be in the best interests of the public when you can influence the interests of the public through through social media, I wouldn't say marketing, but social media propaganda. Kieran, it's been an absolute wonderful chat with you, as as always, on many, many, many topics. Um, uh, I'd love to continue the chat about big tech influence, and perhaps if the listeners are interested, they can send us a message to to say, let's have a show on on that. So please send a show to on air, at, or please send a message to on air, at highfm.com or use our, uh, use our SMS line on 34159 and 
send us send us a message there. Thank you, Kieran. Let's let's definitely do this chat again sometime. Thanks, Rob. Great great pleasure. Lovely, and you have a wonderful day.